Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. PGA Championship is on this weekend. One of the big majors, of course. The cream of the crop go and play there. So I think I've got one of the world's finest form analysts. He's out of the UK. His name's Mark Ferguson. Used to be in the same game as me, actually, bookmaking. So, or oh, analysis, or paralysis by analysis. That's what we do, and that's what we love. But he's a great man. Uh, Mark Ferguson, don't know what your nickname is, but I'll just call you Mark initially. Uh, welcome in. Uh, pleasure to join you, Mark. How are you doing? Uh, look, I'm, I'm very well. First thing I want to ask, like the majors is the one that gets all the eyes, uh, the best players in the world, they all turn up there. Where does this sit on the difficulty scale of trying to find winners, top 20 finishes, that sort of thing, compared to other majors? Yeah, I think I think the USPGA Championship is, is on a par with the, the US Open and the Open Championship uh, over in this, in this fine country. Um, the Masters... Is the one that stands alone in, in, in the fact that it's, it's played on the same course, Augusta National, every year. So you can really get to know um, the people, who, the players who really like that place. You need to be a bomber. Uh, you, you need to know the nuances of the greens around Augusta. Th- these these three majors, the PGA uh, this week at Oak Hill, um, US Open next month, and the Open finishing off in July, played on a, a you know different course every year. Certainly Open has a, a list of a rotor of about 10 the US Open and the USPGA seem to have roads of about 15, 20 courses. So no particular player can get used to, to any venue. So, yeah, the, these three majors outside of the Masters, very, very tricky. But we can, we can endeavour as, as analysts and, and uh, as punters, we, we, we can do our best to, to unravel some, some good stuff. But, yeah, not easy at all based on the fact they're played on different courses every year. Yeah, so I loved the preview you did of the Masters and you said we eliminate first-time players, we eliminate at a certain age, we eliminate. And you started with the whole field and you got it down to single digits. These are the four or five players that can win. And you've got a remarkable strike rate. And and you go into these big tournaments and pretty much everyone, and it could be lazily, just say, oh, do we Sheffler or Ram, maybe McElroy. So can you step me, yeah. step me through the PGA Championship, how you go about whittling down the field? Yeah, I think that the, these these events, as I said, that, that caveat with the Masters where you do kind of really feel you get a grip on players that perform exceptionally well or exceptionally poorly. There's players who just cannot play around the Augusta National because of the length issues and the fact they just don't hit it far enough and, and maybe just can't uh, get the grips of the greens. But this kind of course, so Oak Hill traditional US Open venue um, and it's a PGA US PGA but I mean these, the US PGA Championship uh, obviously used to be played in August um, they've, they've switched it around for, for TV purposes to have kind of every major the Players Championship which is like the fifth major in March you've got Augusta so you've got the, the, the Masters in, in April US PGA in May US Open in, in, in June and then the Open Championship in July uh, the, the PGA and US Open played now on very very similar golf courses um, thick, rough, got to hit it a, a long way, but straight and and devilishly quick green. So you kind of look to players that that clearly are, are not only can hit it a fair way, but accuracy much more of a premium. Like Augusta, you can bomb it most places. Clearly, you don't want to be in the middle of the trees, but the bombing element is a massive thing. Here, you're going to have to be a lot more accurate. Um, so players like Phil Mickelson. I mean, you talk about who, who am I eliminating? Not 
not a great shout at all to eliminate Phil Mickelson. But while he can contend at Augustine, his record is, is absolutely phenomenal there. He, this week, is just, you know, if you're hitting it sideways, you've got no chance because you can't be getting anywhere near the green from the rough. And unless you do what Zach Johnson did at Augusta 20 years ago, where he's getting up and down from everywhere, you will not contend. So the first thing you need to look at is, is players who can keep it accurate and, and, and have, and it's, look, you, you go back in US Open, USPJ form over the years and, and you can see those kind of players. So the players that immediately spring to mind of the, of the top bunch, and he's a player I don't particularly like to back because his record in, in majors is, is, is terrible, uh, is Patrick Cantley. I mean, talk about a terrible record. It's scarcely believable. Three top 10 finishes in 23 starts. I mean, w- would you believe that? Have I said it? No, jeepers. Like three top 10s in 23 starts. And you think, I mean, Cantley's obviously getting a lot of press recently. I, I don't know over there, but he, uh, in, in New Zealand, but, but in, in, in Augusta, he, Kepka and John Rahm are giving him an awful lot of grief for, for slow play. And look, it's, it's clearly not just one man's fault. I mean, the, the pace of play on the PJ Tour is, is abhorrent, really. It's terrible. Um, but Cantley bore the brunt of that. Um, but, but lost within all this is the fact that he's an incredible player. I mean, the three top 10s in 23 starts, yes. But if you look, if you look at some of the stuff that uh, is formed this year, very, very, very solid. Um, it, the, the, corner, the kind of courses that you want to be looking at, so for accuracy-wise, so Arnold Palmer at Bay Hill, tied fourth. Genesis Invitational, uh, two starts previously at, at Riviera. We've got to drive the ball well third. Okay, Quail Hollow, a couple of weeks ago, tied 21st, but he hasn't played there previously. So you've got to look at things like that. Um, I thought it was a pretty decent effort. Tied uh, third at the Heritage, um, you know, last month, you've got to hit it around. So, so Cantley comes to clear. Look, we talk about Scheffler, we can talk about Rory, we can talk about Ram all day. But when, when you're trying to back players, you're looking at prices. Okay, everything has a value for me. It's all very well. So, oh, he's, he's got a great chance. What's his price? Mm. Six, seven to one? Yeah, well, okay, his price represents his chance. But three times the price, the kind of Patrick Cantley where we're looking at, he's the kind of guy I'm, I'm honing in on. But then, of course, we, we, with the flip side of that is look at his record. Look at his record of majors. So it is very, very tricky to, to really hone in. But, but look, we can, we can tick and, and cross a lot of these players. But, but Cantley is the one that, that springs to mind straight away when I'm really kind of honing in on, on the accuracy. He plays well on bent grass greens, which is where they're playing. That's another thing. You've got to look at the type of, yeah. of greens. And, and a lot of people play well on Bermuda. They don't play well on bent grass. So, look, there's so many different things you can, you can hone in on. But Cantley's of the, of the leading players is, is somebody I'm, I'm liking this week. Yeah, because I used to look at golf courses when I was doing my analysis because I played a lot of golf as well. And some courses set up well for players that hit it left to right and some right to left. Um, driving, a- driving accuracy is less important or more important. Greens and regulation, um, uh, sand saves, all those sort of things. These, so, it's such a statistical game, Mark, isn't it? And it's it's trying to find oh, trying to find out what is the most important thing. And there's no such thing as a guaranteed winner. We've had absolute blowout winners in the past, the majors, and that's going to happen. And that's the nature of sport and the nature of golf. When you know it's not two teams playing each other, it's 140 teams playing each other, and someone's going to tube it. And someone's going to go great guns. I, I wanted to ask you, there was a lot of talk with um, at the Masters, the live golfers coming in. Um, I was expecting mm. a li- bit more fry and brimstone than what we saw. Um, but, you know, by and large, they went quite well. Yeah, I, 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 it's really interesting you should mention that because I, I made a big thing 
um, in some of the previews I, I talked about the Augusta, the, the preview to the Masters, is that I was really, really firm on record to, to say that I didn't think they, I thought they had very, very little chance. I thought the, the pricing, I just thought all of them were just far too short in the betting. Mm. And the reason I said that is, is because you look at how many, the competitive advantage that the PJ Tour players had prior to the Masters was massive. They'd probably played six or seven big, big marquee events, whereas the live guys have got one outing, okay? And and I thought, you know, it's all very well playing in Cam Smith, as it was talking about, he'd been playing in, in, in pro-ams in, in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. But there is no, you cannot put a premium on competitive, competitive uh, reps, as Tiger used to go on about, reps, reps, reps. You've got to get that, that, um, that form under the gun. So I thought, though, the PJ Tour players, so you've got the likes of Rory, Rahm, Scheffler, those guys had a massive advantage. But but actually, the way it played out, I mean, Brooks Kepka was superb um, in, in the way nearly... But, but the 54-hole thing, that was another one I talked about. 54 holes, how can you compete under 72? And and he did fall away in the end. But you say that, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, were, were sniffing around on, on, on the final day. So you got three guys from living in the top five. So I, I was... I was surprised to see how well they went. And this week, very, very different. That competitive advantage the PJ Tour players had prior to the Masters has well and truly gone. Um, there's been one big event, that the Quail Hollow event a couple of weeks ago, the PJ Tour, and the Lift guys have had a couple of big outings as well. So this week, you can definitely bring Dustin Johnson uh, in, into the mix, you know, two-time major winner. You can certainly bring Cam Smith into the mix. Brooks Kepka. I mentioned earlier, you can certainly, of all the live players, he's the guy I fancy most this week. But to a comment I made five five minutes or so again, everything, pricing, it's all, everything, everything has a price. Now, Kepka, I, I backed to 50 to one prior to, uh, prior to the Masters, you know, 20 to one this week, maybe even shorter. And, and I, again, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly back 20 to one while I was getting 50 to one of the Masters. So I'm going to leave, there's no live player I really, I'm, I'm betting this week. But, but I certainly would say on record that I would not be surprised at all if, if one of them did the business this week. Because again, they're, they're, this is the back into it. They've played, they've had more outings. They've had that, the, the Masters. They've had a couple of other live tournaments under the belt. Over your neck of the wood, there was tournaments um, in Adelaide. And yes. actually I heard that apparently they've left the course in disrepair. I don't know if that's true, but I've seen on social media it's going to take six months to, to get it back into playing ability I mean I don't know about you stuff I can't I can't believe that for one minute but hey <laughs> that, that's what you see on social media these days uh, but to answer your question um, yeah they, they, they've certainly got chances this week but because you know they're playing regularly and and look they're great players good how, how do you prescribe to a theory I've always had with golf I'm going to chuck a scenario at you you back John Rahm yep. at eight dollars fifty he leads by one yep. shot I'm just supposing he leads by one shot after one round, his price might mm. go to five fifty or six, so it won't cave by yep. much. But if you like a yep. player, like I'll just pluck someone out. Uh, I'm going to find a reasonable player. Let's go, Justin Rose, just for example. He's at a hundred. If he's yep. leading by one, he'll cave into twenty dollars. So my theory is, if you like anyone paying more than fifty dollars, back them before the tournament. If you like these top three, four, five favourites wait around because they might play themselves out of contention and their price, you know, I don't think you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't, I I, look, I I don't, it's different over here. We've got, obviously you've got the TAB there. 
we've got with a number of bookmakers in, in Europe here. So the, the competition for prices and the places they, that, that these bookmakers put are different. But yeah, I don't, I don't see, uh, I can't fault your theory there. Certainly, it's very frustrating isn't it, if you want to stack a guy at three figure price and he has a decent round, and suddenly it, it's it's you know hundreds into fifteen or say sixteen, twelves, yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, the, the likes of Ram and Scheffler and Rory, because they're so low starting out, unless they have a fantastic first round, clearly the differential is going to be much less. But my view is, if I if I fancy a player, um, I will always try and back him prior to the tournament. Okay, and weather. There's all sorts of loads of different facts. We could talk for hours. <laughs> loads of different things. Weather. Uh, this week, it, it seems to be set fair. So there's no draw bias. That's something that you really need to look at. When you put him serious money down, if, if there's an advantage in the Thursday morning, for example, and then it's going to be um, rainy and, and, and very windy in the afternoon, and, and your players going up, two of the three guys you like in the afternoon, you, you clearly, you've got to be very careful backing them. There's no point backing for the sake of it if they're getting a massive disadvantage. There's so many things you need to look into. Um, but there are a few players I like... Um, this week at a, at a, at a reasonable price. Um, I don't know about you. Have you got any? Have you got any guys this week you particularly like? Because I, I've certainly got a, a few that I can mention. Yeah, I, I've I I take Justin Rose every single major, and I don't know why. It was ever <laughs> since he was a teenager and did well at the British Open. I just think he's made yeah. for um, major tournament. I, I, he's punishing to watch, but he, he's, yeah, he, he, he likes majors. And so I'll always just put a fiver on him, you know, and if he manages to win, I'll get 500 and, uh, and I'm not too perturbed. But when you get these big prices, you don't have to go win. You can go top five, top 10, top 20. So of course you can. um, you're of course the expert, you can. mate. Can you identify someone's that you would take pre-tournament and not necessarily, you might just put a quid on them, you know, you might put a dollar on them because they're at two hundreds or something, but give, have you found some in the top five, top 10, top 20 that you think might be worth a little investment? I have, but very. I'll try and do this in 20 seconds. Justin Rose, that you talk about when he, when he first on the scene, I think he was third or fourth at Birkdale. I think it was 98. Hmm. Marco Mira was there. I was in the, uh, I, I was actually in the, in the, in the crowd in the grandstand. I was 19. I remember that, but he just chipped in and, and ever since then, I think he went on to miss 20 cuts yeah. in a row when he started his professional career. But yeah. anyway, that's a little aside. As you mentioned, Justin Rose, I had to mention that. Yeah, two guys. Um, I particularly like at, at decent prices this week. Uh, Harris English, uh, top 10. Uh, it's a name that wouldn't spring out to people at all. I mean, he, he's, uh, strange enough, 16 of his last 17 cuts. He's made 16 of his last 17 cuts in majors. He's a decent player, this guy. A lot of those have been midfield, but uh, two of those saw him finish in the top five in, in majors. Third in the US Open in 21, and then fourth in, in, in 2020 at Winged Foot. Very similar course to Oak Hill, uh, and I think he represents a fair amount of value. Can you find the... You've got the price there. Yeah. Hopefully you can, top, you can top, find him while I'm talking. Top, top $26. Okay. So I like I, I like Harris English uh, on that score. Uh Brendan Todd. Now, there's an interesting, another another name that I wouldn't necessarily, or certainly wouldn't spring to mind for a lot of you guys over there. No. Um, top, top, he's had three, uh, he's played 14 majors. Three of those have been the top 20. Doesn't sound brilliant. Not too bad. And, and actually, if you consider that three of those appearances have been in the Masters, where he's just basically got next to no chance because he's, of his length or lack of length um, with the driver. So, actually, a lot more respectable um, than, than at first glance. Uh, only Four top 20s all season so far, so it's not a brilliant season. But all of those have been uh, in the top 10. He really impressed me um, with that, I think he's eighth at Quail Hollow, the Wells Vargo, two weeks ago. 
He's a very good mid-season player, i.e. now. Uh, he's got a great record of the Charles Schwab at Colonial. So if he, if he doesn't do well this week, for those listeners, just, just try and get your money back next week. Uh, he's had three top tens of the, the Colonial, that Charles Schwab challenge, um, in only a handful of appearances. And it wasn't for two final rounds, 71s the last couple of years. He may well have won one of those or certainly been closer. So, But, but this week... I still like Brendan Todd. He's a guy who doesn't hit it very far, but he's very accurate. Got a fantastic short game. So if you look at him for the top twenty as well, I think you'll probably you'll certainly get a bigger price than than English. Yep, ten dollars. Um, ten dollars. Okay, there there you go. So chucking a couple of guys that uh, people might be listening. To. English Todd, but look, <laughs> golf. You've got to you've got to really go into the needle here and, and, and extract <laughs> the value. So I've gone deep into it, Mr. Stafford, and I found you a couple of guys there. Mate, I love it. We're, we're rapidly running out of time. I want to make a, a appointment interview with you each major because it's this is what we like. You don't need to put a lot on to get a decent bit of wedge back. It's not going to happen every time, but um, we do love value because we don't have big, deep pockets like you Brits on your fantastic standard of living over there. Oh, <laughs> oh please, please, please. So, well, so, well, listen, let me let a quick a quick plug for my podcast. Yes, uh, do. If people want to listen. I'd love to listen. It'd be an honour to come back on for the US Open next month. But if people want to listen to uh, my podcast, we've had eight episodes now. It's called Betferg 101. So B-E-T-F-E-R-G 101, Betferg 101. Uh, the ninth episode is going to be released tomorrow with a preview of this uh, of this PGA Championship. So, But, but listen, it's been an absolute honour talking to you, and I'd love to come back on if if you and the, and the listeners would like me to uh, to talk other majors. Oh, mate, if Brendan Todd or Harris English will both finish top 20, they'll be banging my door down to get you back <laughs> on, mate. <laughs> hey, and Patrick Cantley, Patrick Cantley's the man of the leading guys, I would say, to win this week as well. Perfect, buddy. Thanks heaps for your time today, mate. Absolute pleasure. Take care and all the listeners out there, enjoy yourselves.